Hello. What's up? And do. Did you just did you just watch That's My Boy? Like I No. Do they do a lot of what's up and that's my boy? <laughs> yes. The the bit at first is that Adam Sandler's character, Donnie Berger. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know the plot mm-hmm. of That's My Boy? Andy Samberg is <laughs> Adam Sandler's son, I think is basically the plot. <laughs> yes, but the, the the special thing about it is that like he is like a well i guess his <laughs> andy sandberg's mother is a mary Kay letourneau figure i don't know who that is <laughs> whoa okay <laughs> i'm sending you a wikipedia article okay um so basically he like impregnated his teacher when he was like 12 years old oh boy and andy sandberg is the child and so he like it is weirdly like I wouldn't say it interrogates his like trauma, but he it is like he is like stuck at basically twelve years old. But yes, there's an extended was up bit where it's like at first it's funny that he does it, and then like he starts doing it, and it's like oh like this guy's clearly out of date. But then everyone else is like I've been waiting for this to come back in style, and everyone starts doing it too. It's very funny. That is like a well maybe not. <laughs> I guess I've just been like doing it for so long that I'm like it never. Like, it's been back in style forever. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, maybe a little bit. I feel like there's a part in the office, maybe, where someone does it, and it's, like, meant to be, like, it's crazy how, how out of touch, touch this, this guy is. is. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, because isn't, that, like, it gets parodied in Scary Movie, right? Or one of the Scary Movies, and then that's kind of like, and yes. now we're done with Was Up for a bit. <laughs> yes, I think that is pretty much the end of Was Up. Um, Which is weird because I feel like people think that that scene is funny. That scene is funny. Maybe it's like that's that's just like that's the last time that was up was done and it was funny for a while. Yeah, I'm sure it probably continued for like five years after that. But like, you know, I think that was the last time it was sort of in the public consciousness in that way. It's ideal that we had this introduction. Uh, Happy Funny Vember, everyone. You... I'm laughing at something. I'm just looking at a <laughs> image of <laughs> the like ghost face mask from the scene where they're doing was up, but instead of the normal ghost face mask, he's got like small eyes that are like and a tongue sticking out, <laughs> which is really funny. <laughs> that's a go to. Uh, that's a go to Microsoft Teams uh, play. <laughs> <laughs> for my coworkers, they will when they are greeting someone for the day. They will often hit the ghost phase was up. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry. Yes, it's funny, Vember. You yes. love this, yeah. You you know, funny Vember. We know and love it. Sure. I uh, hope everyone is watching their favorite funny films. But more importantly, this has got the runs. Uh, we are in the throes of our Ed Brubaker miniseries. We have finished up Criminal and are now moving on to his next work or, you know, kind of, it's weird because it's all it's in between. A, but yeah, it's eeny meeny in betweeny for sure. His in betweeny work, uh, Incognito, consisting of six issues of Incognito and five issues of Incognito Bad Influences. And this comic this podcast does have all the sexual chemistry of the guy and his freaking girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't like these too much. <laughs> uh, 
I think that the first one is like plot wise, the first one is better. And yet is also I read this interview with Brubaker where he was like, uh, yeah, Incognito has got a little bit of uh, some like twisted humor in it in the way that like a criminal doesn't. And so then I read it and I was like, are you talking about like how he like rapes this girl and like is like get out of my way when he kills people? Like, is that <laughs> is that the twisted sense of humor that is in these? So it's got like a weird tone and then bad influences. uh I mean, we can talk a bit more, but I, I am kind of like, why did you come back to this property? This story doesn't seem like it is like asking for it. It feels like a bit of a regression for him at that point in his career because Bad Influences started in like late 2010. So he's kind of like making his exit from superhero stuff. So for him to go back and be like, and it's time though for me to do like a different superhero thing again. I'm sort of like, I thought you were kind of like calling it a day on that stuff. But don't you realize that this is a send-up of pulp comics, allegedly? (laughs) Despite like having no real hint of that, other than like in basic sort of aesthetic elements of the universe? Well, uh, this is, it's funny that you say that because my kind of like take as I was thinking about this is that like that's basically all pulp is at this point is like, we're like we're so far past like i don't believe that anyone including me who talks about liking pulp has like read much pulp at all because i think to a modern sensibility most of it is like borderline unreadable i think what people are really saying is i like the comics work of ed brubaker and like alan moore and their ilk and i like the like steampunk aesthetic which is right. like kind of what pulp boils down to at this point. But it doesn't even have that aesthetic. And I think like I think there is also a certain stylistic aesthetic sort of like I think it's like, you know, war era like, you yeah, know, early to mid 20th century sort of like American optimism mm-hmm. and like ingenuity. Yeah. It's, it's like we made the atom bomb type beat. Yeah. And it's sort of like low con, not low concept, but like low, low fi, you might say in terms of it's like, nobody really has superpowers. They all just have like a weird formula that, <laughs> you know, lets me do right. this. Or like, I found a special gun or, uh, you know, things along those lines where it's like, they're not, they're not like super powered per se. They're just sort of like crime fighters who have, thing (laughs) yeah like the original dr fate or whatever or dr doc savage is that who you're talking about no i'm thinking who's who who has the gas mask or is that that's the original sandman right yes anyways uh (laughs) but yeah i feel like there is like and you know they don't i think ever use the word superhero or supervillain in this comic they say science hero and science villain which is right which makes uh, it pulp well, I don't know if it does make it pulp because that just makes me think of like Alan Moore, who did that like with Tom Strong, like Tom Strong's whole thing is like, I'm a science hero. But I don't know if that is like from actual pulps or if that's his like kind of signifier of like 
You know, right. if we it's harken back to pulps, yeah, like if we harken back to pulps, they're not superheroes. They're like men of science who's like, you know, it it is like it's our ingenuity that has allowed us to become kind of like exceptional. Right. And I it's weird because it's like one, you did this already. It was called Immortal Iron Fist. <laughs> And like that makes much more it makes much more sense to do that as a person who is like into the pulps than it does to make this, which seems to just be like a very like mean spirited, like ugly, uh, like I guess like you're, it's like it's a satire, but really just <laughs> feels mean spirited, um, like sort of like takedown of the pulps or, or like a very like cynical or nihilistic viewpoint that you're bringing to the table here. I agree. Yeah, I I basically agree. I do think that like mean spirit is kind of the right word for it. I'm sort of like, I get it because it's supposed to be about this like amoral anti-hero, but he's just like, he's got a bit of like Teague Lawless syndrome where I'm like, I don't really want this guy to be happy. (laughs) And I don't feel like he, it's it's interesting because like to, to read Brubaker talk about sort of like some of the underlying ideas and like the impetus for making the book. I'm like, this sounds like a good idea, but in actually reading the book, I'm kind of like, I don't think I necessarily get the intended effect. So when he talks about it, it's mostly in terms of like, well, I had done sleeper or we had done sleeper because Phillips of course is the collaborator on that, Mm -hmm. which is about um, like a superhero basically going undercover with the mob and like, you know, coming to realize that like the way that the bad guys do it isn't that different from the way the good guys do it and sort of becoming a Zack Overkill type. And then he was talking about how like sometimes I will like think about a reverse situation type beat and be like, is that a story? And so the example that he gave in one interview I read was like, oh, you know, you've got like the shield, which is about this corrupt cop who is like trying to save his own soul. And I think about like, what if instead it was about like a mobster? And so this is sort of supposed to be the like reverse sleeper where it's like, what if a good guy for some reason, or I mean a bad guy for some reason finds himself having to like live life as an ordinary person and then like accidentally develops empathy, which is kind of what bad influences is about. But the first one, I don't know. He's not very redeemed to me in the first one. Yeah, I guess in a way you could kind of call him incorruptible, for example. <sighs> you could, <laughs> I suppose. I I haven't read Incorruptible um, in a while. It does come out a, good long a while. little after this. It's a, it comes out in December 2009. So, mm-hmm. But, you know, irredeemable. A year. <laughs> Sure, but I mean, like, I don't think even, like, Irredeemable was out yet, like, so it's not really, like, he's taking from anything, but I do Mm -hmm. feel like, you know, I don't remember that much of what I read. I think I have read, certainly, significant parts of Incorruptible and Irredeemable, but I do feel like that is maybe, like, a better execution of it, and it's just, like, it's just strange to me that he is choosing to do this. I guess he's just sort of, like, in his... I'm doing dark things era. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I just had to remind myself of the main character's name in incorruptible, which is of course, max damage, which is basically the same as Zach Zach overkill. Overkill. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it's just, it's strange to me that he is like choosing to do this because like this to me is like, 
you know, I don't, I've never read any of these comics, but like, this is what I imagine, like the work of Warren Ellis or like the, or the <laughs> boys or like something like that. This is what I imagine. It's like, where it's just like the heroes are huge assholes who like treat everyone terribly. And like, they're the good guys because they like kill the bad guys. But really it's like, it's actually a very thin line separating good from evil. It's just a matter of who you're killing, basically. And it's like, okay. Hashtag if you really think about it. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, the book that it called to mind for me was Mark Miller's Wanted. Mm. Turned into a either beloved or reviled Got film, depending who you ask. Gotta be good. A popular comic at the time have you ever seen jumper i have not seen jumper i feel like you'd like jumper anyways a popular comic at the <laughs> time not well loved today i would like to read you verbatim the all of the text on the final two pages of wanted so that i wonder if maybe you'll see where i'm drawing the connection here sure him <clears throat> There, happy now? Pleased to see the mystery resolved? Little old me getting the girl, the cash, and ending our story as one of the secret masters of the world? God, you're such an asshole, and I speak from experience. It only seems like yesterday I was at your level on the patheticometer. Why should you give a shit how my life works out? You're killing yourself working 12-hour days, getting fat on cheap takeout food, and your girlfriend is almost certainly fucking other guys. Just because you've got a big plasma screen TV and a big DVD collection doesn't mean you're a free man, motherfucker. You're just a well-paid slave like all the other cattle out there. Even this comic was just a 15-minute respite from how hard you were working. You used to think the world was always like this, didn't you? The wars, the famine, the terrorism, and the rigged elections. But now you know better, right? You know that... Uh, you know what happened to the superheroes, and you know the funny thing? You know what makes me laugh now I'm on the other side? You're just going to close this book and buy something else to fill the big empty void we've created in your life. This panel, of course, shows a copy of Wanted sitting on the counter and someone pulling out money to pay for it. <laughs> Final page, close up on the main character. This is my face while I'm fucking you in the ass. The end. Great. So... <laughs> And, like, this never gets to that level, but I just feel like there is a lot of Zack Overkill being, like, isn't, like, the life everybody lives so dumb, and aren't you dumb for, like, not wanting to murder people? Right. Yeah. I, and <laughs> I'm trying to find this one specific little bit of dialogue just to speak to another element of, uh, of that, but I, it's, like... Hold on, I'm going to keep looking for it. But yeah, I mean, there definitely is a lot of that. There is a lot of, I don't know, it just, yeah, it just to me, like, it espouses a worldview which feels very, like, late 2000s (laughs) in a way. And it's like, I feel like like Criminal is kind of about that in a way, or like, it's sort of about, like, the elements of society like sort of the seedy underbelly, etc. Mm-hmm. But like it never tries to sort of like advance that view. It doesn't really have a viewpoint. It's sort of like, and I think that's part of what's like successful about it. It never really tries to moralize about the characters. Mm-hmm. It's just like, this is what it is. Right. 
I feel like if you're going to do a book like this, it needs to feel like e like especially if the the whole point of it is like this supervillain thinks that he is like basically above everybody else, and the book is about him learning that like uh, you know actually we all have more in common than we realize if we just stopped and looked around or what have you. It should feel like even as the character is like espousing those views that the book has a like unshakable optimism about humanity, if that makes sense. So that even as like the character is like, blah, 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 this, 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 there is something that is like, no, like you're wrong about people. And like, eventually you're going to see that. And this book does not have that like at all. <laughs> like right, every there time. Is no. Yeah. I, I'm just like, why, why would he ever change his mind? He has no positive interactions with anybody ever. <laughs> like his, his best friend finds out he is like, has superpowers and is like, I'm going to exploit you. And then he has this like weird sexual relationship with this woman who like, I don't know. It's so it's so cynical and like <laughs> pessimistic about humanity the whole way through that I'm like, why would this guy ever change his mind? Yeah, and not even like pessimistic, but also just like I mean, like it almost seems like lazy in some places. It's like, why does he have a sexual relationship with Zoe Zeppelin, a character who like we never hear any internality about, basically. Mm -hmm. And like, how does this come to pass? And why does it come to pass? Like, why does she think like there's it just like it cuts so many corners? Well, it's of it, course purely physical for her. Sure, but it's like it's that dum dum who's catching feelings, right? But it's like Zach Overkill is like so hot that you couldn't help yourself. Well, her like, boyfriend is um. Like lost in the time stream or something. Is that true? He has like one line of dialogue where he he literally says like her boyfriend is lost in the time stream or something. I wasn't really listening while she was telling me about this. <laughs> <laughs> Which is <pretty> like <laughs> like I mean there's a, there's a certain amount of like dark humor to that that like I'm like that does make me kind of laugh to because it feels more like look at what an asshole this guy is sure but it but just doesn't like usually feel like look at what an asshole this guy is it usually feels like i don't know it's like a weird like dark power fantasy where it's not a power fantasy in like the same way as a superhero book obviously because it's ultimately a super villain book but yeah, I'm just like, why Why would this guy ever decide to be a superhero other than when he's, like, blackmailed into it, which is basically what happens. Right. Um, yeah, and most of the time, like, the way, the way I feel about a lot of these comics is just, like, if you don't care enough to, like, if you don't care, why should I care is basically how I feel <laughs> a lot of the time. And, like, especially with this, like, it just... I don't know. It just feels like there is just sort of so much missing, like m there's no like meat there. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like it's only interested in like telling this little like chunk of story. And then that is like sort of all it wants to do. Mm -hmm. And it, and, and like you, we never got like any, like he never really like expresses any sort of personality beyond like the main conflict of like, am I good or bad? But like he's not even really conflicted about am I good or bad. He is in more the later like part he is. 
I get like, I mean, they, they like kind of like look in that direction with like the Lazarus stuff and do some sort of like hinting at like some nature nurture stuff. But I feel like for the most part, anytime he does something that like has any moral freight at all, he's like, why would I do such a dumb, stupid thing? I must be getting soft. Right. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I feel like later on there is a bit of like the sort of moral dichotomy of like, because it's sort of him going back into the, the criminal underbelly and being Mm -hmm. like, Oh, like I have changed like the things that I used to either not care about or like delight in are like hollow to me now. But also like, I don't think that's a particularly interesting comic. And also like this comic is weirdly like, I feel like poorly written in the way in like both its dialogue, which I find like pretty insufferable (laughs) and also just like the way that like scenes are broken down. Like there was one specific issue where I took notice. Um, I'll see if I can find it, but it was like, you know, like the end of the end of an issue, something happened. And then it was like, Oh, there's a meeting between black death and the lawyer character like where he basically is like telling the Black Death like this thing happened. Oh, I I'm, I'm about to find the issue. I think it's after he like burns down the brothel, mm-hmm. and then it's like we're having a meeting. The you know the SOS team is like having a meeting about how he burned down the brothel, and then we're it's like he's talking to his lawyer, and it's like he burned down the brothel, and, and it's like every scene is like at least 50% a recap of the previous scene. And so it just feels like nothing is ever happening. And it's like, he would like, he's doing this. Like, this doesn't feel like something (laughs) he would do. Like he's usually hashing the same information over and over. Yeah. Oh, here it is. It's the, it's issue four of bad influences where it starts with like the SOS teams on the scene after like this whole fight has happened. And then we cut to the black death and it's like, this whole fight happened, sir. He's like, okay, we'll do one thing. And then the next scene is like, or two scenes later is the SOS team being like, this one thing is happening. (laughs) And it's just like, I'm not explaining it well, but it is like very overlappy in a way that I just found very tedious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do think that like the circumstances around the creation of these like account for that to a certain extent because like as we talked about already he first came to this like the idea was bubbling i think kind of on the back burner for a long time but the reason they first decided to do this was because he was like bad night was too weird (laughs) i need like a break from criminal for a while i'm going to do this very chill comic (laughs) instead um so he came to it like less so like he was kind of like, I need a break from criminal. So I'm just going to sort of do something else. And then, so I don't think we talked about this in criminal, but they do these like promo, like trailers, they call them that are like two page kind of like sneak peeky. Like they don't really reuse a lot of art, but they will pull some like recognizable, like lines or those things from the writing, but they'll just, they'll just do like a two page little like trailer effectively. Right. So they'd been doing those for all of like the criminal stories. And then they did the one for this 
And then a movie studio was like, we want the rights to this. And they were like, it hasn't come out yet. And they were like, we know we want the rights to this. (laughs) So there's like this immediate sort of like the elevator pitch is so strong that like we're getting Hollywood interest already. I mean, there's probably a certain amount of like, and also like it's written by me, the guy who is doing criminal with my like most productive creative collaborator. (laughs) But but like there's immediate interest before anything even comes out. And then he also had like kind of talked about it as a like, I want to tell this one story. It's mostly just about kind of like meet Zach overkill, but I am going to do some like world building in the background and we might come back for a sequel or like sequels plural. And I will like want to leave that door open basically. So then they do this one and it is like a pretty big hit commercially especially like it sells out the first the first issue and gets a lot of like very positive press and then they go back to criminal as was i think always originally the plan to to be like let's uh, let's hit up the sinners once we have like given ourselves a bit of a break here to do incognito but then i think like are driven to return to it again less so because he's like i've got this incredible idea for a story and more so because he's like people seem to love this and like they they want to make a movie like right. uh, maybe we should go do more incognito and so they do bad influences but i just think it's also telling that like bad influences ends on a cliffhanger and they have not come back to it in the intervening like 12 years like i just don't right. think this ever really had that much juice for at least for brew baker as anything other than kind of like uh uh like a change as good as a rest type of like alternative right. project. Right. And like, yeah. And apparently the movies, I don't know. I, I doubt that that movie is actually getting made. Apparently I think we talked about this last episode that Fetty Alvarez was connected. Who did the evil dead reboot, which is really good. I don't and, think uh, we did talk about this. You tricked me into saying Bozenga. Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Almost every day. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, so like there were people attached to do it, but it's like, yeah, I just, I don't Yeah, this movie know. will never come out. There's no I, way. Yeah, I would imagine not. This is, this is like to me a like classic, like we like pulled the trigger too soon. Jordan like, Vote Roberts Gundam movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is to me a like, yeah, so there's, there's just something in this that is like, the timing's not right um, in terms of like lining things up, but there's just something about it to me that's like this Brewbaker guy, like he's he's like got some juice. People love his stuff. It's like got this genre hook. Superhero stuff is about to be like quite hot, um, like quite hot. Let's like get the rights to this, but then, but then like yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, there's I guess, lots. Of, like, there's a million reasons a project could die, but I guess the idea of like supervillain witness protection, like that log line, is enough yeah. to sell a book. But it's like that's really not what the book is about. <laughs> no, no, it's it's not. The book isn't really, I feel like, discernibly about anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so he talks a lot about how there's like layers of identity. And that's basically what it's about, which I can see in the it's like it's incognito. And then he talks about how, like, 
he's a twin and his twin is dead. And like, who is he now that he has to exist as an individual? Like he never, as a supervillain, he never had to maintain a secret identity, but now like irony of ironies, he's lost his powers. And now he does have to have a secret identity so that he can like live in not, not so that he can live like this is science hero right. or science villain life, but just so that he can live like a normal life. He now has to have a secret identity. He like, is like a drift in the world and purposeless and like without a sense of identity as a normal person. And it's only when he like puts on a mask to conceal his face that he like truly feels like himself, like, you know, all these sorts of different, different ideas about like, like who is Zach overkill basically, which are all interesting to me as like, in, in pitch form, like exactly what you're saying. It's like an interview. yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, it's this like he's in witness protection and the book is all about like identity and like knowing who you really are. But then you read the book and I, at the end of the book, I don't feel like the question who is Zach overkill has been answered or even really like considered in any meaningful way. Like, and then there's the whole thing where it's like, Oh, like you're not even like you. Yeah. You're a, you're a doctor or you're a, you're a Lazarus like clone. Right, and then like you're not a clone, <laughs> but you're not a clone. Yeah, you're, not, yeah. <laughs> there is so many things in this. Even like the like throwaway line that I mentioned about like Zoe Zeppelin's boyfriend. I'm like, that's a thing that he was like, maybe I'll write that story someday. <laughs> right. And, yeah, like I just... do feel like there's a ton of stuff in here where he's like, kind of like maybe this is the new criminal, and like I'll I'll do like incognito stories every so often and keep like building this world out because there's so much world building happening. Like I will say, if like if it has something going for it, like the world building is quite efficient. Um, yeah, I just I feel I guess the main thing I feel is that the world building is so incompatible with the story and the tone of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I'm just kind of like I don't think that pulp is like the right genre for this kind of deconstruction because it just like doesn't it doesn't have any cultural relevance. So like, what's the, what is accomplished in deconstructing it, I guess, basically because yeah, because, because of the cultural footprint such as it is that remains is mostly in superhero comics, which have evolved so far away from it that it's almost unrecognizable. And to me, kind of like the success of Tom strong is that it's like, because like superheroes have evolved so far away from the pulp concept that the pulp concept now feels almost like new and refreshing. And so to just do like a a pretty straightforward, unironic pulp story feels like an entirely different, like take on the superhero. Yeah. And it's like, that's almost like what Darwin cook was doing. Not necessarily a pulp book in the same, but kind of like, yeah, that's kind of what new frontier is. Yeah. Like we talked about how the characters that he's most interested in, in that book are not the superheroes. They are very much the science heroes who right. are either like kind of like the last pulp heroes or the like last vestiges of the like influence of pulp on the superhero genre before they get like entirely subsumed by just like straight up superheroes. Right. And that's played straight. And for the most part, 
the immortal iron fist stuff is played straight as well mm-hmm. and like it's it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek when yeah. we get like the flashbacks but even then it's like it that's because they're not trying to tell a pulp story they're trying to evoke a like sense of like you know like uh uh swashbuckling adventure by using the motifs of pulp and like the visual iconography so that like it's they're basically saying like yeah you get it by like putting these things in and it's like yeah we do get it and that's an effective use of it because we're not being asked to like live there yeah i do feel like there is a fair amount of you get it in this comic that it's like no i don't (laughs) (laughs) um but like the the thing that i really just thought of was the happy time murders which is another movie i haven't seen um, are you mm-hmm. familiar with this? It's like I think the so. Brian it's like they're Henson. cute animals, but they murder they're, people. They're, mu- they're Muppets, right? But it's like so. It's like a crime movie, but it's like everyone's Muppets except Melissa McCarthy or something. And uh-huh. so it's like what I imagine that movie is like, and what this is like is like actually in this world we do this, <laughs> like, and there. Are, I'm sure there are other examples of like that movie where it's like, or like Men in Black is another good example where it's like actually we do it this way. And that's like the whole thing of it. I feel like that is like almost what it's trying to be. But then it's like it's so divorced from like what I would be comparing it to. Like, I guess there's something to the idea of like it. it's like it. it's a world where we had like the pulp world. And then it's like and then time continued into the present day. So like, what does mm-hmm. that look like? Like, how do those people operate and everything? But I yeah. feel like I never understood, like, what is the SOS? It's a government organization and it's good or bad. Yeah, it's so they're they're definitely like establishment side. I don't right? know. It's it's not clear if they're like government or if they are like independent, but like government contracted. I don't think that's really ever made perfectly clear, but they're like paramilitary certainly right certainly and then you know they're they're like i mean it's the whole thing of like department of human affairs or whatever well i I was gonna say it's more so like the whole like they're the good guys you know but you know what's good and what's evil really in today's america with bush (laughs) i guess i actually think lobotomies are bad And like, you know, there's there's like torture stuff where it's like, oh, my gosh, they're supposed to be the good guys, but they're torturing. This is so mess. But also, doesn't it kind of make you think of real life? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this place, Guantanamo Bay, but uh, I actually spent a little bit of time there. In the yeah, I was Guantanamo's Bay. <laughs> <laughs> I was putting the git in Gitmo. <laughs> So I'm reading the Wikipedia article for Happy Time Murders, and it mostly seems like a Roger Rabbit ripoff. Kind of, yeah, I think that's right. But I do, like I think that's another kind of example of a like that is kind of the ultimate in this world. We do this, yeah. But but like I think what that movie does, and what like all these other like when I think when something tries to be a Roger Rabbit type beat and fails, it's because like. Roger Rabbit takes both the like cartoon elements and the noir elements equally seriously and like right. 
plays them both straight. And if there is like comedy, it's when they are like forced to it, like when those two genres are forced to intersect, but it's never because it's like noir is actually dumb. And these cartoon characters are here to like help us like remember that it's like it, it plays it quite straight. Right. Whereas I feel like, and, and I guess like it doesn't overstate the absurdity of like juxtaposing these two, you know, these two different things. Whereas like something like the happy time murders, I am getting the vibe that they are really like, can you believe we've done this? Like yeah. Melissa as a freaking <laughs> cop is going to have sex with this Muppet. Oh, that's so wrong. That's uh, after having sexual intercourse with Sandra and escaping the FBI. Mm. That's so Bill. wrong is kind of what this <laughs> book is. It's like, oh my gosh, he killed them. That was so wrong of him. <laughs> and it was, to be clear. <laughs> hey, I'll be the first to say it. Killing is no bueno. I guess like, yeah, I, I'm just like, it doesn't quite like line up perfectly because I don't really think that there's like a genre collision in this book per se. And yet it does have that kind of like pastiche feel to it because like, you know, the pulp stuff. But yeah, I guess the past the sort of juxtaposition is just that it's like, you know, doing a super serious kind of thing juxtaposed with like the goofiness of like there's a flying car. What if pulp but now? Right. Right. Or like the fact that it's like, and the guy who freaking did those lobotomies, his name was Dr. Zeppelin. Yes. <laughs> That's wacky. That is wacky. That's kind of a reference too when you think about it. But yeah, it just per- like it never... Personally, I've always been a uh, Dr. Dirigible man, as you know. Right. Boy blimp. Yeah. Um, I did think about Boy Flint when reading this. Don't worry. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure like direct inspirations. I mean, the whole like if we want to talk about like a single image to evoke an aesthetic, like is it really pulp until a blimp shows up? Right. <laughs> but a blimp, no, like a blimp flies by an Art Deco skyscraper. Right. A blimp, a blimp fi- flies by an Art Deco skyscraper and like shoots someone with a laser beam. <laughs> right. But yeah, I just... Another thing about it is just like it moves really quickly. <laughs> uh, it like I does. feel like, like there's never like like I'm just sort of paging through it now, and it's like there's never an issue where I'm like, oh, this is the issue where this happens. It just sort of moves from thing to thing at such a high speed. Like, and you know, we talk we talked a lot about Brian K. Vaughn and how sort of his issues were always like this ending sort of has an ending and it's like very like you want to read the next issue and all this stuff. Whereas like these ones, I feel like the issues just kind of bleed together and there's never any like, like the, the to be continued page is always a surprise to me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I will say like I have, I've never found that like the, like the issue ending has been a particularly strong point for Brubaker. Yeah, not, but not I inter- like-, like I think he can nail the end of a storyline, but I often find that the end of an issue, it doesn't like he's it's funny because I wouldn't have said like, oh, he's like a classic writing for the trade guy. But like, yeah, I, a lot of these issues, I'm like, if I was buying the monthly and I turned the last page and like this was the last page, I would be like. Oh, <laughs> and it's like a, it's just like a classic. Like when I pick up the next issue the following month, I'm like, 
wait, what was so wait, what was happening in this book? And then you like have to go back and like reread the last issue to like remind yourself what was even happening. Right. They feel like scene breaks, not act breaks. And then sometimes like, yeah. like I think a I think a pretty good ending to an issue is when farmer is like, you and me are gonna rob a bank. But then yeah, it's like <laughs> that is a good one. But then I'll show you like the way that the last two panels are composed. And it's like you and me are gonna rob a bank is such an obvious like that's a perfect like boom cut to black like that's the end of the mm-hmm. issue and then there's another panel here where it's just like <laughs> unless you want to call your friend and take back that whole alibi and it's like that like really <laughs> like, you had it right the there and then you're like except there's one other line i had to get in here because it's just <laughs> it's too true. good not to it's have it's true if you just stretched that panel into two panels um <laughs> and like i don't know like got like a little closer on farmer or something it's like perfect or even just like took out the dialogue of the last panel he's just looking at him right <laughs> makes more sense <laughs> the other screenshot i sent to you this dialogue is so crazy that i have to almost think it's parody but it's a shot of zoe zeppelin and she's saying that fucking cunt took out the tracking device and then there's an ellipsis and then <laughs> bitch <laughs> And I was just like, I was just like, this is crazy. Like to add the bitch on the end is like a parody move. Uh, yes. So I don't know the plot of these. Do we want to? Sure. Dare we? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you a million dollars if you can summarize bad influences without like looking anything up. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, of course, our good friend King Midas. Sure. There. I like King Midas, definitely. <laughs> He's a cool I guy. Will, like, I mean, again, this is, like there are vignettes where I'm like, ah, yeah, here's the juice. And I do think the scene where uh, what's his face is like, and I guess I'm, as I'm thinking about this, they're mostly in bad influences. But I do think the scene where the guy is like, I'll give you the information you want. But the price is like you have to leave Midas with us for like bringing you here i'm like this is good i like this we've got some heat yeah they sort after of, that <laughs> <laughs> they sort of like put i think that is sort of what is sometimes interesting like i was talking about is like when he gets into these sort of moral quandaries where it's like this is annoying to me that like i now care about this yeah or even like like i think the scene that most effectively is like he actually has changed. It's not just like blah, 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 as when he sees his like boy blimp equivalent who is old now for some reason, which right. I never like uh, we can we can revisit that. I didn't I think you realize, I guess. No, when we see him in the flashbacks, he like hasn't gone. Cr- I mean, he's always older than you would think a like stooge <laughs> like that should be unless his thing is like, I'm the old man. Right. But like. He seems too old to be like our field, like <laughs> our, our guy who like goes out on missions with us. He seems like he should be the guy when they're like control. This is happening that he would be like, yes, I see it. Right. I type loudly anyways. But like when he goes to see him and that guy's like, we weren't friends. And and he's like, no, we were friends. And then he's like, were we not friends? Like. And, and is troubled by it. And then, of course, he, like, hangs himself and... Which I didn't understand why he did that. I think 
if I'm recalling correctly, again, I read this last night. I was like one hour forgotten. Ago. Yeah. I think that he is like, they're going to kill me just for like opening the door when right. you showed up, basically. Right. When they find and out. And also like, I think he like called somebody like he was like, he's here now. Come get him. And then basically was like, no matter how this shakes out, somebody's going to kill me. So I'm just going to kill myself. Right. Okay. But but anyways, him like having genuine frustration at the fact that like his old his old hench person didn't like have enough faith in not not love him, but even like trust him enough to be like, Zach's going to make sure I get out of this. I'm like, this is like, uh, you know, this is this is eliciting pathos <laughs> not technically pathetic <laughs> the best it's not even an onion headline it's from the <laughs> this american life episode about the onion uh yeah man not technically pathetic in that he fails to induce pathos uh that is uh, yeah listen to the tough room this american life episode can't recommend it highly enough the onion bit especially you will laugh so hard <laughs> i'm thinking of that other one that i can't say <laughs> yes uh it's the first one i always think of because it's the funniest one <laughs> what are we talking about you asked dear listener listen and find out mm-hmm. anyways we were about to try and summarize these comics mm, i will course. take incognito <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Okay. And leave you with incognito colon bad influences. I'm just going to throw um, one thing in here. Uh-huh. If he can call him on the phone and do the mind reading thing. Yeah. Why, why does, he, does he go in in person ever? <laughs> now, when he called him on the phone, when he called him on his cell phone, he had like a wire plugged into his brain, which I have to imagine is uncomfortable. Sure. No, he has like, it's an electrode. Uh, maybe it is an electrode. Whatever. I'm looking at the page. And even then, I'm like, I have to imagine that, like, being in the oppressive presence of the Black Death is also uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, feeling the weight of his consciousness on your brain, I assume. Right. He's really powerful. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. <laughs> and I'm now wondering if the fact that farmer is named farmer is a reference to philip jose farmer for reasons that i'll talk about in a minute there's another thing that he said was a reference so the whole like origin story for like the black death and subsequently like everybody else is a riff on a philip jose farmer thing Mm, probably it is then um but he says harvey picar picar yeah he says that zach overkill is a file clerk in an office because that's what Harvey Picar did or something. Sure. Anyways, just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, Ed. Okay, so in a world where <laughs> the, the Wold Newton family you thing happened, really, this is the Philip. <laughs> you really started in the worst place because if I was asked to finish the prompt of in a world where, I don't know that I could fully explain. <laughs> <laughs> so okay the the like backstory of this is that the wold newton family thing happened which is this philip jose farmer idea that there was like so in real life the, a big meteorite fell in england in like 1795 and then farmer wrote these two books about tarzan and doc savage that was basically like the like 
six people who were like around when the comet fell got like irradiated and so they and all of their like descendants have like very high intelligence very high strength and are like either exceptionally good or exceptionally evil and so the descendants include like Tarzan, Doc Savage, Sherlock Holmes, and Moriarty, like Fu Manchu, Solomon Kane, yeah, Sam Spade, The Shadow. So, like, many of the classic, you know, heroes of pulp, James Bond is yeah, on like here as 19th well. 19th century, early 20th century, kind yeah. of. Yeah, Arsene Lupin, um, all, all those guys. And so, basically, in this world, that also happened, except instead of using these mostly, like for fair use <laughs> properties i feel like we have uh instead the black death who is dark side i i wasn't really sure who black death was supposed to be because he mostly gives me dark side vibes but we have sure. him he's sort of like the oldest one and then there was dr zeppelin and lazarus are kind of like the big three from the original generation or shortly thereafter who were pulp heroes in the classic mold and as we've discussed they sort of built the world in the image of like the pulp stories zach overkill was a like science experiment of the black deaths and like one of his high level enforcers and soldiers in his army until the black death was captured and his brother was killed at which point to like save himself basically he agreed to uh, turn state's witness against black death he testified wearing his mask which is a funny panel yeah. <laughs> and was placed into witness protection program with one of the kind of stipulations being that he has to take these drugs that suppress his powers and he's miserable in life until he realizes that the other recreational drugs that he's taking, um, or I think more specifically, the drugs that he's taking to hide the fact that he's taking yes. illicit drugs are negating the effect of these pills. And he has his superpowers back. But instead of returning to a life of crime, he somewhat unknown like, why to himself begins acting as a vigilante. This tips off uh, the Black Death that he's still alive. It tips off the SOS, who are this like government or pseudo government agency that he is, um, you know, active again. And it tips off his old, not girlfriend, Ava Destruction. Dis right, his brother's. Old yeah, girl. his brother's girlfriend. Anyways, everyone realizes like, oh, Zach Overkill is still alive. So. The SOS are pieced about that. The Black Death is like, I'm going to kill that guy for testifying against me. And Ava Destruction is like, I'm going to not let him get killed because <laughs> so complicated. He is a clone or not clone of Lazarus, the returned man, one of the original pulp heroes who like invented this technology that a lot of the current generation are based on. And I want him to save me because I'm going to die young that's like my curse also he's very horny over the fact that i'm 16 weird look mm. for you zach overkill mm -hmm. so <laughs> he is a captured to be killed is saved by ava destruction when she is rapidly aged up and it makes her wrist so skinny that she can wriggle out of her restraints <laughs> and brains the evil scientist who created zach overkill but they are uh, kind of too late because um zach's other third unknown brother yuri <laughs> has been activated um and he's completely insane like the snowman killer he's being <laughs> used by the black death to sully zach overkill's pristine reputation <laughs> <laughs> 
by murdering a bunch of people uh, and the SOS are like, it's Zack Overkill. He's gone completely insane. He gave us all the clues and are mad at him until the real Zack Overkill shows up and kills Yuri. And that's basically the end. Right. And and so they like shoot a shoot an atomic bomb into the sky and the city is saved. Yeah, it's kind of like heroes. Mm. Save the cheerleader, etc. Sure. And then in bad influences, he is working for the SOS because like he's basically told that like either you can go back to being in witness protection or you can work for us and have your powers. And he's like, well, I like having my powers. I'm going to do that. There's an old guy who wants to blow up some people for some reason. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, this whole subplot makes no sense. I never figured out what was supposed to be to going on with this. He wants to kill people, but then also frame Zack Overkill, but then also kill Zack Overkill? Lazarus, the returned oh, he was man Lazarus's in like the 30s. Friend? No, he was like his CI. And then he like got found out and beaten up by the bad guys and put in a coma. But he was only like 21. So then he wakes up after like being in a coma for like 60 years. Totally glossed over this part. (laughs) Yeah, he wakes up after being in a coma for like 60 years and thinks that he's still 21. But then he's like, no, it's not fair. So then he's like, I'm going back to this old Lazarus hideout and finding these bombs. And I'm going to ruin Zack Overkill's life and then murder him. And then his because because he's like, you're Lazarus. Oh, I see. He thought he was Lazarus. Yeah, he sees him and he's like, that's Lazarus. Lazarus is still around. I'm going to kill that guy. And Lazarus didn't help. Lazarus didn't help me. And like Lazarus threatened me into like becoming his like informer in the first place, which is what got me betten up. Right. But then. (laughs) i'm doing the explanation okay so i well i just don't even like how is this guy related to him how is which guy related beekman the other guy he is the grandson of the old man he had a son yeah i was gonna say how does that work tragic (laughs) um he missed his whole freaking life right and so and then there's a guy dressed as Lazarus who we are under to understand is his grant is Beekman's grandson who is also Beekman so I'm not going to bother to learn his first name um <laughs> but meantime I think it's Harvey sure is that a reference like Harvey Birdman sure I guess Harvey so Beekman I guess so birds have beaks you see totally but then the main thing is that Zack Overkill is sent undercover to join this other group, which is separate from Black Death, that's called, mm-hmm. it's something with a nine Level in it. Nine. Level nine. Um, because they have this double agent inside Level nine who they believe has gone rogue and is now going to like take over Level nine. So they're like, he knows our secrets and he's going to be the head of Level nine. This is really bad. We need to like get in there and take care of this. So Zack Overkill sort of like reintegrates himself into the criminal underworld. Nobody trusts him. A lot of people try and kill him. He meets up with this guy, King Midas, who he sort of like forces into bringing him back into all these sort of criminal elements. And like I said, sort of reintegrating himself. Then level nine eventually finds out from his old friend henchman. His Frenchman. His Frenchman, sure. (laughs) And then 
he kills the fake Lazarus, who's Beekman. I, for a second, I was like, but then the fake Lazarus is someone else. But no, the fake Lazarus is Beekman. Uh, he kills. Beek- no, no, it is someone else. Doesn't it isn't. Yeah, because when they find Beekman, they're like, he's been dead since like before. Oh, right. He's he's been dead since before Zach killed Beekman Sr. Right. But who was that? That's what I was trying. <laughs> that's what I was getting at when I was like, this subplot, I can't for a million dollars explain to you what's going on. Because when he unmasks him, it looks like Beekman. He does, yeah. I think the reveal is that it was actually the like level nine leader guy who he was sent to like bring in in the first place. No, because but the I level nine leader guy sh- is the guy that shows up at the end. Donald something. Just please don't say Trump. <laughs> Sutherland. At any rate, si- oh, Simon is his name? Simon something. Simon Slaughter. Right. Yeah. Simon Slaughter is his name. Sure. So he gets like kidnapped by the level nine agents. He gets brought in and Simon Slaughter has this whole thing where it's like, yes, he has gone rogue, but also his plan is actually it's not to take charge of level nine. It's to take charge of level nine and then be like, look, SOS, I did it. I defeated level nine because he kills all the other level nine bosses. <laughs> and then he wants to be like, look, level nine, I killed them all. I'm ready to come back in. And then when he comes back in, he will then like destroy SOS, I think is the yes. idea. And so they fight. Zack Overkill wins. But then he's like, I got you. I already told them I killed the level nine guys. And now you're the one who killed me. So that makes you the bad guy. And so it ends with him getting put into prison. The Ed Brubaker special (laughs) Um, (laughs) with the Black Death and all of his foes um and then uh, and it's like and the black death is even doing like the kingpin chuckle <laughs> right and then the ending is just like how am i gonna get out of this one cut to nothing for the rest of time <laughs> <laughs> fast forward 12 years imagine if they came back and it was like the year is 2025 <laughs> <Zach> overkill <laughs> has been in jail for 15 years <laughs> Uh, that would be good stuff so yeah i don't i have no idea what the lazarus subplot thing is about maybe it's just that like it's another cliffhanger where it was like and we never found out what was up with lazarus yeah you really think that we don't because i'm reading through this whole issue and we never i don't think get the answer but then when he but then like he gets unmasked at the end and it's we see that it is Beekman, I think. Looks like him. So when when Zack kills him, it is Beekman, but he's also high at that point because he like got trip blasted. Right, but he, he, got he thinks that this, he's like fighting his shadow self, right? Right. But then he kills the guy and he's like, hey, that's what not the, me. who's this guy? <laughs> he is like, that's not me, which is a really funny thing to think. <laughs> this isn't my dark image. This is a person. <laughs> this is a guy with a very sensible, like, slick back hairdo. Maybe the idea is that... No, doesn't make sense. Never mind. Uh, so I guess this is just a cliffhanger, right? Because, right. they, yeah, they never, they never explain it. I did think that it was supposed to be... Because, like, 
the level nine guys show up right after that. So I was like, haha, it was like a Simon Slaughter trap. Like he got him. Right. But then I was he like, was wait, so it's his thing that he's like, yeah. So it's that I was like, is his thing that he's like a shapeshifter <laughs> or like a, like not a shapeshifter, but like a, a master of disguise type guy, which feels like it's also a very pulp thing to have it be like, this is kind of what the question is like, too, but where it's like, yes, I put this like miracle film over my face and it completely changes my appearance. But no, but no, <laughs> there's no there's no indication that that's what's going on. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed, we really haven't had one that I've really just disliked in this way since I guess like snot girl. You didn't like Snot Girl? I certainly was low on Snot Girl, comparatively speaking, to you. That's true. I just think, like, it's a it's a funny comparison because I feel like Snot Girl has a similar sort of interest in genre and, like, genre tropes. But right. to me, it's, its interest is more interesting and its play within those tropes is more successful. Right. Snot Girl is like, this makes my stomach hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like Snot Girl is for you what Bad Night is for me, where I'm like, this is good. It's just also gross and I don't want to read right, it. Right. <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> Which seems to be how Brubaker also felt about it, except he was so beeped in the head after reading Bad Night that he was like, look, incognito. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it's the thing I've liked the least since the Chicken with Plums movie. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that made you feel ill. Oh, that's more of a headache movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The gauzy cinematography classic. really uh, put me on ice. Uh, uh, we love the gauze. <laughs> sure, he's going to be in Barbie. So 2010 Eisner Award nominee for Best Limited Series Incognito that's with Sean crazy. Phillips. <laughs> oh, we should talk about the art. I think the art is normal. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I basically agree. Like, he's not... He's not doing anything that like blows me away. It looks good. It always looks good. I do think like especially to come back to this after having seen him do like the later criminal stuff where like Elizabeth Breitweiser and and Jake Phillips are the colorists. Nothing against Val Staples. I think Val Staples is a great colorist, especially for like the mid aughts. But it is like just hard to come back in time <laughs> to like a different sensibility or a different like honestly i agree it's it's normal it's it's good like it's 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 better art than you're likely to see like you know closing in your eyes and picking a comic up off the shelf especially in 2008 sure but i don't feel like i i agree it's not it's it doesn't stand out to me and i think it probably is like it feels wrong to say the worst because again i think it's good art but I think we will see better from him going forward. Right. Pretty much exclusively. Right. Honestly, this whole book is a bit of a mid-aught. <laughs> mm. Have we explained that aught is family <laughs> slang for a burp? I don't think so. But that was mostly, that was an audience of one type joke. An audience, if you ask me. And I don't. Um, but yeah, like, I Joe, I guess it's just the same as like the boys or whatever. Like people freaking love the boys. The boys, I'm not crazy about the boys, but I, I guess if I is sort of I guess reinforcing what you're saying. I feel like the boys similarly has some moments where I'm like, 
this is from like competent comics creators. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, similarly, is it worth sitting through like the lowest points for the highest points for the boys? I might actually say yes, even though it's much longer. I'm kind of for I've been derisive about the boys. I imagine if I read the boys, I'd be like, this is fine. I mean, it's it is quite like it's over the top in a way that incognito doesn't even like. Yeah, but I weirdly like pretend to. I weirdly kind of respect that more because it's like, oh, this like it's about how like nihilistic and cynical it is. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Like it is it is crazy to me. So also 2010 Eisner Award winner Ed Brubaker for Captain America, Criminal Daredevil, The Marvel's Project and Incognito. And to me, it's like, wow, he wrote The Marvel's Project and Incognito in the same (laughs) year. Like, I almost can't conceive of two like more different books, especially because The Marvel's Project is about like the pre-Marvel heroes who are. Yeah, they like are so pulpy. I mean, like they are. They are more superheroic because those characters are like Human Torch and Namor. But there's also some some guys who are like very much in the pulp tradition. And that whole thing is like a celebration of like the spirit of heroism. Right. <laughs> uh, and Incognito is not that. Yeah. It's just like the weird thing about it is that like it's not even necessarily that it's like this has a viewpoint that I dislike. It's a lot of it is just like I can't identify what like the purpose or the thought process or the like worldview that this is putting forward. Yes. So the other nominees for best limited series or story arc in 2010. Oh man, boy, blackest night by Jeff Johns, Whoa. Ivan Reyes and Eau <laughs> Claire an Albert. Awesome year. <laughs> Incognito by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, Pluto colon Urasawa X Tezuka. By Naoki Urasawa and Takashi Nagasaki. Wolverine number 66 to 72 and Wolverine Giant Size Special, a.k.a. Old Man Logan mm. by Mark Millar, Steve McNiven, and Dexter Vines. And The Wonderful World of Oz by Eric Shanoer and Scotty Young. Hmm. Okay. So crazy year <laughs> for that category, <laughs> I, I feel like. You know, Old Man Logan... I'm not crazy about and again like Miller is someone who was like all the hotness at this time and the bloom has really come off the rose for him I think in a lot Mm -hmm. of people's eyes but old man Logan to me has always been one that is like it's fine and is probably one of the stories of his that has maintained a more positive reputation as time has gone on but like yeah blackest night being up here the wonderful world of Oz crazy I mean Scotty Young in the house but could be good, I imagine. Sure. Seeing here that Tony Parker uh, is nominated for the art duties on Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. And what year was this? Uh, 2010. So. Yeah. So kind of like a weird middle stage of his career. When was he cheating mm-hmm. on Eva Longoria? <laughs> I think it was probably around this probably time. Probably would have been around the same era. Um, yeah. Eva... yeah. I'm sure this... Uh, Catching this Eisner L probably helps him refocus uh, and and get after that 2013 chip, 2014 chip. Excuse me. Wow, the extramarital affair allegations came out very quickly. Yes, divorced September, filed for divorce September or November 17th, 2010. So 
he had a lot of darkness inside him at this time, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he went on to, he was an MVP candidate in 2013, obviously, back-to-back <laughs> finals appearances and the title win in 2014. So, mm-hmm. me thinks things turned out okay for old Tony. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, this is the, uh, this is the Richard Starks Parker, the Hunter year as well. So, oh boy. I mean, great. That's good. <laughs> if you're looking for a good comic from 2010 <laughs> I mean, this comic is readable. Yeah, I mean, I imagine it makes more sense when you read it in 2009 and it's like the biggest writers are like these people and like the biggest Mm -hmm. comics are Wanted or I think Wanted's a little earlier, but like that kind of comic is a lot more prevalent Mm -hmm. and then, you know, sort of changes over time. Do you ever think about how Tony Parker spent 17 seasons at the Spurs and then went to the Hornets for one year for no reason. I did forget about that and we'll do so again shortly. (laughs) Yeah, I do like this is one that I had not expected to dislike this much coming back to it. It's never been I disliked it. It's never been a standout of his for me, but I did like remember it fondly. And I think that it was in some ways like an early-ish exposure for me to the like some of the like trappings of pulp, which I still do have a lot of affection for because I think that they are just like they like stir the imagination, if that makes sense. And I feel like that is a similar kind of affection that he has for them is that like he sees the images or he like reads about them and he's like my imagination is stirred but it has yeah it just has always felt to me like a genre that is like an inch deep in a lot of ways right and like you know it's kind of being it was written for it was written to be shallow yeah and, and so, like, it just doesn't compare favorably, I think, with other engagements with Pulp, like the stuff that Moore did, which was more so about, like, what if we just, like, made this a bit more sophisticated without abandoning kind of, like, the core. Like, adventure is still the core, and there's just nothing adventurous about no, these books. Not. It's like, <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I don't know what to compare it to. Would you perhaps call it... Uh, a brutal noir twist on the superhero supervillain genre that delves into their roots in the pulps that's pretty over the top and action packed. No. <laughs> mm. I didn't I don't think of it well, as very that's noir-ish. What Ed Brubaker called it. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't really either. And I did read an interview with him, not the one that was quoted there, but another one where he talked about noir as like something that is a lot more flexible than people tend to imagine it as, which I kind of agree. And he he was basically making the argument that like he was, he was saying like, I think a lot of times people say noir and what they mean is crime, but not all crime is noir and not all noir is crime. Right. And then, and then basically said like, I think the main defining trait of noir is that whoever your like hero is nothing good can happen to him. (laughs) <laughs> it's like basically the long and the short of it. And I was like, I guess I, I, that that's not necessarily what I would have, you know, the defining trait that I would have given. Right. But I agree that like, this doesn't really feel like noir to me. I was expecting either like 
I was like, if it's criminal with superpowers, I will be happy with that. Like, that could be really cool. Or if it's like, this is like his take on, it's like sort of Ex Machina-ish, kind of. I guess Ex Machina is so political that it's kind of hard to make that point of comparison. But kind of like the interweaving of like modern societal things with the sort of more retro superhero Mm -hmm. based things. I was like, that could be cool. Yeah. Yep. But... (laughs) I also listened to a like (laughs) phone interview where Bill Hader interviewed him about criminal, which like only turned up in my Google results because the page that had the video on it was like, did you know Bill Hader wrote the like foreword for the incognito trade, which I was like, why isn't that in my deluxe edition? I want to read the Bill Hader foreword, but it's like a terrible interview i was laughing quite hard because he's literally like you know uh criminal these stories they're just like really good so where does that come from like crime fiction crime movies (laughs) and fruit baker is like yeah (laughs) um and then it's just like the whole interview is kind of like that or where he's like and, you know, Sean Phillips, his art, you know, it, he, he's just great. It's great art. What does he bring to the table? <laughs> it's like good art, I guess. Right. Bill Hader, surprisingly um, not in That's My Boy. That is, that is a shocker. Will Forte is the... <laughs> great. Good, good for him. Secure the bag. Um, this interview, I'm going to feel the interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm getting loopy um (laughs) thank you all for listening Uh, no 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 let me finish this thing that i was saying about the interview um (laughs) so it's like bill Hader doing this really bad interview which is also like for myspace for some reason and at the end there's like this awkward final exchange where he's like i'm so glad to be interviewing ed brubaker for myspace and ed is like okay it's like no no i'm i'm serious i know that sounds sarcastic <laughs> i'm serious um but then there's also like this weird like accompanying photo skit is the only way i can really describe it that is like over the audio which i assume was done because at one point he references something that happens in coward but says in lawless and then brew baker is like you mean in coward and he's like you know there's two books right bill and he's like yeah 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 and then like the rest of the interview as it unfolds there's like this photo story that shows him like going to the comic store (laughs) buying a copy of lawless and like leafing through it and then at the end he's like i really like the part in lawless where this happens (laughs) which is like crazy but that's all i have to say about bill Hader interviewing ed brubaker for myspace so go to myspace and check that out uh-huh. And thanks to Tom from MySpace for <laughs> supporting this week's episode. And you know what, Tom? You're we really glad. Top five. Mm-hmm. Or whatever you did with MySpace. Yep. Uh, you never had a MySpace, I imagine. No, I did not. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, give us five stars on all your respective uh, podcast applications and services. Got the runs pod on Twitter. 
gottherunspod at gmail.com if you want to send us an email of any description. Next week, we will be starting the series Fatal, and that will be the first 11 issues of that comic. So look out for that. Uh, Anything else? That is it. (laughs) Well, until next time... To, to be, be continued. continued. Oh, and I have I have a postscript as well. I'm gonna read uh-huh. you who was on the 2019 Hornets. Oh boy, is that the year Dwight Howard was on the Hornets? No, I believe that was the previous year. The Hornets years really all blend together. Um, let me see here. Yeah, 2018 is when Dwight Howard was on the Hornets. Um, Oof-a-doof. 2019 Hornets. This is by minutes per game. Uh, Kemba Walker. Nicola Batum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeremy Lamb. Marvin oh, Williams. Yeah. <laughs> Cody Zeller. Marvin Williams. Miles Bridges, rookie year. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, still with the team. Mm, Tony Parker. MKG. Dwayne Bacon, rookie Malik Monk, Frank Kaminsky, think rookie mm. Devontae Graham, Bismack Biombo. That sounds right. Willie Hurton and Gomez. How does that team win 39 snack. games? Terrible monster. Uh, uh, Tony Parker and Machine Gun Gelly <laughs> together. <laughs> the BPM Don't people call Machine Gun Kelly MGK. The BPM leaders: Kemba Walker 4.2, Jeremy Lamb 1.2, third place Frank Kaminsky 0.3.